0: leading us this morning in worship. Take your copy of God's Word and turn to the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 14, Genesis chapter 14. When I was growing up, Saturdays really were some of my most favorite times of the week and of the year. I mean, just Saturdays. You never knew what Saturday was going to bring. You knew this, you did not have to go to school, okay? So that in and of itself was a blessing. But then you knew you would get to spend the time with your family and maybe some friends. Uh, depending on time of the year, it might be a moment that my dad would take me fishing or maybe we would go hunting. Or even if we stayed home, even if we stayed home and we turned the television on, we were assured that that day we would see some cartoons. You remember those Saturday mornings? The cartoons would come on. And I enjoyed those, especially as a child. But I'll tell you what else I enjoyed. Right after the cartoons, we would always go into this, like, movie of the week or so. Usually it was sponsored by some local company in the area, maybe like a vinyl siding company. But we would have something like a movie that would be shown. in my dad, of course, you understand, my dad controlled the remote, just the way it was in our house and I'm for tradition myself. (laughs) He controlled the remote. So in other words, what he watched was what I watched and what I began to really enjoy. And that local movie that we would have, that movie of the week that we would have, it would star oftentimes this local actor, this guy I fell in love with to watch and to act. And I wanted to be just like him one day. Again, he was a local actor, so you may not uh, recognize him. But I, I, I did want to show his picture. I did want to. No picture. That's okay. A picture of this guy called John Wayne. You ever? You heard of that Mississippi local actor, John Wayne? And John Wayne, I mean, he was the man's man, right? And I loved the two different types of movies that he really made back then. I mean, he made the Western, right? And you would see those movies uh, like Big Jake or Searchers. Those were wonderful movies. And then there were those where he was like in the military, maybe in the Civil War or maybe he was out west and... uh, It could have been like Horse Soldiers that you would have seen or She Wore a Yellow Ribbon. Wonderful movies. You with me this morning? And I think I loved it so much because you knew when somebody was in trouble, when something was happening, what was was going to occur? John Wayne would come riding in to save the day. I mean, literally, sometimes he was leading the cavalry into... Help whoever was distressed and whoever was in need. And John Wayne would come in in such a way. How many of you kind of wanted to be the duke when you were growing up? Or maybe later on in life still want to be the duke? To be able to call in the Calvary. You know, when you look at Genesis 14, it's kind of the John Wayne moment of Abram's life. I mean, literally, I could see... I could see Abram, long before John Wayne had come around, I could see him adopting the same kind of attitude and disposition as he goes to the aid of his nephew. Now, I want to set the stage for you. You'll remember, as you look at chapter 13, that Lot and Abram, their herdsmen in particular, had had conflict. And they had had to separate. Abram had actually said to Lot, You know, you choose which way you want to go, and I'll go the other direction. Well, Lot had looked at the plain of Jordan, and he had seen all the fertility of that land, and he he headed off toward Sodom. The scripture had said that he pitched his tent toward Sodom. And there he goes down in that area, and Abram, he goes about his business, and then... Before you know it, we have what is described for us as the first battle scene in the Scripture. The first battle scene that is contained in the Bible. It says that this area, this area of the plain of Jordan, you had basically five kings who were there. But they were subjected to the four kings of the east. Now, those names are mentioned there in the first few verses of chapter 14. I will spare you my Hebrew-Mississippi pronunciation of those names. But I encourage you to read about how the tension builds. For 12 years, the kings of the plain of Jordan, they basically had been subjected to the kings of the east, the four kings. But in that 13th year, they decided that they might rebel and throw off the reign of those kings of the east. But those kings of the east, they came and they squashed the rebellion. They put it down. And they actually took a bunch of spoils, people, and resources, and they were heading out. Now, this would have been okay. Abram would not have had to move into his John Wayne mold except that these kings of the east had also taken his nephew, Lot. Pick up in verse 11, if you will. It says, then they took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their provisions and went their way. They also took Lot, Abram's brother's son, who dwelt in Sodom and his goods and departed. Then one who had escaped came and told Abram the Hebrew, for he dwelt by the terebinth tree, trees of Mamre the Amorite, brother of Eskel and brother of Aner, and they were allies with Abram. Now, when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his 318 trained servants who were born in his own house and went in pursuit as far as Dan. So here's this picture. You've had a battle. You've had the, um, the put-down of a rebellion, if you will. And now Abram finds out that his nephew is actually among the captives and being taken back toward the east, even toward Persia itself. And Abram, he comes to the rescue. Now I want you to note this. I want you to see that in Abram's life, that he had recognized he had recognized that his brother was fleeing from the Lord. He recognized that his brother was fleeing from the Lord. Now I know Lot was his nephew, but here in this passage he is actually referred to as well as his brother. It's like saying, you're part of my family. And he recognized that Lot, his family, had been fleeing from the Lord. Now, some of you say, well, he was taken captive. He, was, he was, had been captured, and now he was going back to these." How could you say that he was fleeing from the Lord? Well, I want you to note the progression from chapter 13 now to chapter 14, especially in Lot's life. What does it say in chapter 14 verse 12 about Lot? It says that Lot, Abraham's or Abram's brother's son, dwelt in Sodom. In verse 13, where was Lot? Well, he was on the plain. He was pitching his tent toward Sodom. He wasn't in Sodom yet. I mean, but but he was just on the outskirts of Sodom. Chapter 14, you see that Lot actually now has moved into Sodom. And remember, in chapter 13, we were told that Sodom and Gomorrah, that those two cities were known. They had a reputation of immorality and godlessness. They actually had that. But now Lot has come to the point to where he is living in Sodom. What a progression. One day you're you're walking with a patriarch. And the next day you're walking the streets of Sodom. And this is Lot. And this is the progression of his life. And this is his descent, if you will, into immorality. Notice how this progression takes place. He had gone down to Egypt with Abram because they had needed some things. And when they had come back, he was still living according to those Egyptian values. Abram had learned from his experience and Abram had put his faith in the Lord. But Lot, he was still living as though he were in Egypt. It's kind of like they say. Sometimes you can take the boy out of the country, but you can't take country out of the boy. That applies to a lot of us, right? Some of you already figured that out with your pastor probably. But in Lot's life, you could take him out of Egypt and he had been freed from Egypt in chapter 13, but you couldn't take Egypt out of Lot. He had seen the, the things of the world and the resources of the world and the, and the good things that you could enjoy. So when he was given the choice... He chose the fertile land, the plain of Jordan. And he moved towards Sodom. And then in the next chapter, as he's continuing to evaluate the world in his own eyes, you find him living in Sodom. That's the reason I say that Abram has recognized, I think, that Lot, well, he was fleeing from the Lord. He he was taking a step-by-step advancement away from From God. That's usually the way it occurs. Not many of us get up on Monday morning, Tuesday morning, or Wednesday morning and say, You know, today I'm going to take a step away from God. I mean, really. Or not many of us get up and say this. I'm going to run away from God today. Right? I mean, not many of us, maybe... Not many of us get up in the morning and say, I want to make sure that I move as far away from God as I possibly can. But what we do do, sometimes unintentionally because of our priorities in our lives, is we move step by step. We see what Egypt has to offer. And then we move a little closer to Sodom. We pitch our tent toward Sodom. And in pitching our tent toward Sodom... We again set our hearts and our lives upon the values of the world. Before you know it, we are living in Sodom. You see, Lot had progressively moved away from God. And Abram recognized that. And he recognized that he, had, he was fleeing from God and fleeing from God's priorities. But get this. Abram still loved Lot. Lot was down in Sodom and he was living according to his own values and to the world system. He faced the consequences of that by living in Sodom. He faced the consequences of capture and and all the things that would go on from there. But if you see this and you see Abram's response, you'll see that he loved Lot. Again, notice the terminology. Notice the terminology that is used of Abram's brother. Verse 14, he heard that his brother was taken captive. May I give you one of the most difficult circumstances, one of the most difficult uh, situations that some of us face in our lives today? Some of us have seen our brothers and our nephews and our sons and our daughters and our parents. We have seen them walk away step by step from God. We have seen them just begin to taste the values and the goods of Egypt only to be enticed to move closer toward Sodom only in the end To live in Sodom itself. And there are probably not any families here this morning that has not been touched by such such a relationship. And I say to you, it's one of the most difficult situations to see your brother or to see your nephew or to see your sister or to see your mother living in Sodom And still love them. Isn't it? Isn't that tough? Isn't it difficult to see them step by step walk away from God? And to recognize that they're fleeing from God. Now they may not come back and say, Yeah, I I knew I was trying to get away from God. They probably wouldn't say that. They probably wouldn't even recognize that in their lives. But you have seen it progressively. As they have moved away from God. And they're living in a place that you just do not approve of. And yet, to still love them. I can't tell you how many messages I will get during the week. Or how many people will just stop me and say, Now, Reggie, how, how can I show truth in my relationship to this person? And how can I still love this person? I can't tell you how many. It, it may be the most repeated question... That I get as a pastor. How can I demonstrate truth. And how can I say this is right. And this is wrong. And how can I still love. That individual. You see. Many of us. And probably. Myself included. We would have looked at a circumstance like this. We would have gotten news that. Our brother our nephew. Had been captured and he had been taken by the kings of the east and you know what we would have said well that's what he asked for right that's what he asked for as a matter of fact I will tell you some of us would have been consumed by bitterness because we would have said you know what if he wouldn't have been so selfish back then when he chose the fertile plain of Jordan, if he hadn't tried to live by the world's values back then, he'd never be where he is today. And friends, there are consequences to actions. Absolutely, there are consequences to actions. And absolutely, we should stand for truth. And absolutely, we should set boundaries in our lives. And you'll notice that Abram had actually separated himself from Lot. There are consequences. There are healthy boundaries we need to keep in our families. But he still loved Lot. But he still loved Lot. It's kind of like the story in the New Testament of the prodigal. The father allowed the prodigal to go. And the father allowed him to experience consequences, did he not? I mean, when the prodigal is there and he is feeding the pigs, the lowest job that a Jewish man could even think of having. When he's there and he's starving and he's, he, he's only wishing that he could be able to eat what the pigs are eating, he is experiencing the consequences of his actions. But when he comes back to see the father, what does the father do? The father doesn't go out and say, hey, prodigal, I want you to come in. I have prepared a PowerPoint series for you, a lecture series, that I've been waiting to give you all this time. And I want to show you why you did what you did and where you are and all of the things and all the consequences. That's not what he did. The father raised his robe to run. Think of the indignity of that. I mean, many of us, if we were to show our legs, that would be something of indignity too probably, right? But especially a Jewish man in that day and in that time to raise his robe and to run toward his son, it was because he loved his son. And I say to you again, that yes, there are healthy boundaries. And yes, we must make sure that we stand for truth. And yes, there are consequences that come in life. But my friends, we should still love those people who've gone astray. You'll see Abram's heart for Lot. Later on, you'll see it expressed in prayer. And we're going to talk more about that intercessory prayer that he offers for Lot. And his heart is for Lot. He wants to see Lot return. Not just physically, because look, friends, before Lot had ever been taken physically by a king of the east, he had already been taken spiritually by a principality and a power of this earth. This physical capture was only evidence, only evidence the spiritual captivity he had already experienced in his life. But Abram loved him, and Abram said, You know what? That's my brother. And you know what we're going to do? We're about to go get him. And get this. Whereas Abram recognized that his brother was fleeing from the Lord, Abram also recognized that his battle was fought by the Lord. He knew that his battle would be fought by God himself. Get this. It says that they come to Abram the Hebrew the first time this idea has been expressed in Genesis, the idea of the Hebrew, who has made an alliance with these other individuals who are around him. It says that when he hears the news, verse 14, he arms his 318 trained servants who were born in his own house and went in pursuit as far as Dan. you got to love this, don't you? He says, we're going to get Lot back put together all the trained guys, put together the folks from our household. They totaled 318 people, and let's go. Now, you might miss this in the text, especially because I didn't read those first few verses, but there seemed to be this uh, constant uh, reminder that these kings from the east, they they were strong leaders. And they had great military prowess. I mean, it keeps telling us how the four kings of the east defeated the five there in the plain of Jordan. Four or five. Now, think of this. If you were to... If you were to... I can't say bet in a Baptist church. Um, And none of y'all were betting on that boxing match last night, were you? say that if you were to pick a winner let's just say that pick a winner between four kings and five kings in a military battle most of us would probably say well without knowing anything else about them any character any kind of i would go with the five any day makes sense five would beat four right does that make sense to you you want five on your team rather than four But the four had beaten the five, and there was repetition about how four had beaten five. Four had beaten five. They, they had great military and strength, and you gotta love this. Abram says, "I'm taking my three hundred eighteen, and I'm going to get light back against all type of odds." See, that's the John Wayne right? It doesn't matter how many we have, I'm going. And I'm going to get him back. Why? Because his faith was in the Lord. That the battle was going to be fought by God. Later on, later on, Melchizedek, he'll actually say in verse 20, and blessed be God most high who has delivered your enemies into your hand. Notice that they even recognized, Melchizedek even recognized that it was God who brought the victory. Because it didn't make sense that 318 could defeat these four kings and their armies. The battle was the Lord's. Now, I'm not saying Abram did not do what was necessary in preparation. Notice he used trained men. Notice it says that in verse 15, he divided his forces against them by night, and he and his servants attacked them and pursued them as far as Hoba, which is north of Damascus. So in other words, he used sound strategy, dividing his army, surprise attack, He used trained men. You know, God fights our battles for us, but he also calls us to prepare ourselves for the battle. Right? We prepare. He takes care. That's our God. And here Abram had prepared, and God had given him the victory. And there are those of us in this place who have faced odds that seemed insurmountable. Insurmountable. Those of us in our jobs, those of us in our families, those of us fighting physical issues. How many of us have faced those odds where we were going up against them? And by worldly standards, there is no way we could ever attain victory. No way. And yet, God delivered the victory for us. It was his. And everybody knew that. You see, Abram, Abram had recognized that the battle was fought by the Lord. And then get this. You've got to love this. It says that Abram recognized that his blessing was found in the Lord. Verse 18, Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God most high. This is an introduction of a new character. Rather an intriguing character that you don't hear much about. It's only mentioned a couple times in the Old Testament. Later on in the New Testament, we're told that this guy is like a prototype and uh, this early example of, of like Jesus and how Jesus would minister And this is the guy named Melchizedek, who is king of Salem, king of Jerusalem, who is a priest of God. So he's a king and he's a priest both. And he comes out to meet Abram. And he comes out greeting him with bread and wine. The idea is blessing. I spoke to a Jewish ambassador one time. And as we were talking, he was telling me about different passages in the scripture and and, and, and he mentioned this, that when you look at this passage and you see the idea of bread and wine in the Jewish mindset, that meant blessing. Blessing. And here he comes out with the idea of blessing. And he was representing the God Most High, El Elyon. God Most High. And he comes out to Abram and he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High who has delivered your enemies into your hand. There's a blessing. And this is from the representative of God Most High, El Elyon, the God over and above everything else, that this is a recognition of the blessing of God upon Abram's life. Whoa, where have I heard that before? What did God say when all of this story started with Abram? Remember when God spoke to him in the promise? What did he say? He talked about how he would bless him and how he would bless those who blessed him and how he would curse those who cursed him. Remember how God had said, Abram, I'm going to work in your life and I'm going to take care of you and you're going to experience blessing. That was chapter 12. We've already seen some blessing. But now in chapter 14, we see the representative of God Most High. We see him speak to that blessing. Pretty awesome, isn't it? Within two chapters, within two chapters of God's promise, others are recognizing the blessing of God upon Abram's life. And what does Abram do? Well, Abram recognizes how God is blessed And he responds with a tithe. And I just lost a lot of you. You just checked out. I mentioned the word tithe. He responds with a tithe. A 10% gift back of the blessings he had received. 10%. Notice this wasn't given out of legalistic obligation. Actually... The Mosaic law, the Mosaic requirements had not even been given yet. All he wanted to do was say, I recognize that I've been blessed. And he gave a tithe. It was just recognition of the blessing. Because he knew his blessing was found in the Lord. And then get the response of the next king or the, the request of the next king. It says in verse 21, the king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the persons and take the goods for yourself.'" But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have raised my hand to the Lord God most high, the possessor of heaven and earth. And I will take nothing from a thread to a sandal strap and that I will not take anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abram rich. Except only that that the young men have eaten and the portion of the men who went with me, Aner, Eskel, and Mamre, let them take their portion. You got to love this. I mean, there's Abram. He is the... He is the victorious one. Look, he went and defeated these kings of the east when nobody else could. He brings back all of this stuff. He's recognized for his blessing. Melchizedek's already pronounced that blessing upon him. And now the king of Sodom comes and says, Hey, uh, you can keep everything, all of those spoils, except just give me the people back. And what does Abram say? Abram said, Listen to me. You can keep everything you've got. You you can take all that stuff back. Because I don't want you going around this community telling people that it's Sodom that enriched me. He said, because I don't don't find my resources and my values. Well, this is the Reggie paraphrase, okay? He says, I don't find my resources and I don't find my values in Sodom. And I'm not going to be enriched by Sodom. But he said, it's the God most high. It's the God who is the possessor of heaven and earth that will provide for me everything and anything that I need. Is that not awesome? My friends, many of us would say, now did you say there was a bank around here where I could cash that check that you're providing? Most of us would have. We wouldn't even thought about it. But see, Abram was wanting to reflect the God most high in his life. He knew what Sodom, was, what Sodom was associated with. He knew that his nephew had been seduced by their values and their system. And Abram says, I'm not having anything to do with it. He conducts himself with character and credibility, recognizing that his resources were from the Lord. Quite quite an episode from Abram's life. And how it informs us. I mean, it does inform us. I mean, it's hard to think of a military battle in Genesis could inspire and inform us. And yet, it demonstrates to us, it demonstrates to us how yes, even in the patriarch's family, there were those who went astray following their own values. And yet, Abram loved his brother. It shows us that we can go through battles but the victory is God. It shows us that we can be seduced by all kinds of things in this world but we need to be reminded our resources are in God. All of those truths come out. And perhaps it even points us to the New Testament and God's provision for us as well. Because get this, get this. What God did was calling in the Calvary. What he did by calling in the Calvary was basically give us Calvary. Right? Because what were we? All of us in this place, we had step by step moved away from God and all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And it was as though we had been taken capt- captive. We'd been captured. And what did God do? God said, not going to happen. I'm sending my one and only son And he's going to take care of this mess that they've made down there. And he's going to provide life and forgiveness and salvation. And Jesus came and he died on the cross. He rose again. And get this. He won a victory through the cross and through the resurrection that none of us could win on our own. The battle was his. And he provided victory. And this God, this God who has worked on our behalf is the one who still blesses us, and keeps us every day. Because, my friends, He is still the God most high. He is the God above every other God. He is the Lord above every other Lord. He is the King above every other King. He is the one who directs us and sustains us each and every day. I am thankful that God looked at us in all of our mess. And he sent his one and only son for us to win that victory and to bring blessing upon our lives. Today in this place, God may have spoken to you in many different ways. Maybe through a relational issue that you're going through. Maybe maybe through a physical issue that you're facing. But you know what? God may have even spoken to you by extending to you that victory and that forgiveness that you so desperately need. And today, if you would recognize that you have that you've committed sin, that you have that you've done wrong, just like all of us have, by the way, including this preacher. If you would recognize that and bow before him and repent of your sins and trust in faith, listen, you can see the God of heaven coming to your rescue and saving you if you just call upon him. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. We bless your name today. And God, we admit that when we come here, we have so many things that are going on in our lives from our families to our job to our health. And yes, even this day, Lord, in relationship to our salvation. And God, I pray you would speak clearly now that you would bring conviction and that you would lead us to that place of faith and humility and repentance in our lives. God, allow this invitation to be that time when we express it. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name.